0: Well welcome everybody and tonight we're actually doing a joint broadcast, um, this is a broadcast of my, um, my uh, podcast, The Scriptures Are Real, and uh, it's also uh, part of our Spark lecture series. So let me explain to both audiences um, what each other is. Um, Spark stands for the Society for the Preservation of Ancient Religious Cultures. It's a society that uh, Brett Nielsen and I started, and now uh, Bethany Jensen is uh, the Secretariat, and we kind of uh, keep this thing going, uh, that has a couple of purposes. Uh, One of the purposes is just to make lots of great gospel and uh, ancient world and archeological stuff available to people. And one of the purposes is to help support uh, my excavation and other excavations. So it's a society where we do some fundraising tours we do uh, other kinds of fundraising, but mostly what we do are lectures. So we try to do a monthly lecture, either on a gospel topic or scriptural topic, like tonight's lecture on Ruth. And we try to uh, also do some that are on um, archaeological topics. So, for example, uh, the, this next, uh, well, some uh, towards the end of this month here in June, um, Ron and Deb Harris are going to speak. Uh, they've done some work at Petra. Uh, we're going to have uh, Anna Kfospin and uh, Kristen South talk about uh, textiles from the time of Christ and, and what people would have dressed like. Uh, and then um, in August and then towards the end of August, the beginning of July, I'm going to do another thing on Isaiah since we'll be hitting uh, Come Follow Me in Isaiah at that point. Uh, and we have lots of people lined up to do both archaeological and scriptural topics. And I, and I think we have a lot of fun together. We'll even have, uh, I believe, a get-together in August during Education Week. For those who are in town, we'll, we'll just have a social or something like that. Um, so we try and do all sorts of things. So you can join Spark um, for either uh, $35 at what we call the Golden Membership, which allows you to have access to the lecturers. And uh, we do a little newsletter and um, little things like that or at the Lotus level, which is $55. And for that, well, let's say that the the Golden level, you get priority for tours that we do. We do church history tours, tours in Egypt, tours in Israel. We are hoping to get those uh, foreign ones up and going again soon. Um, And uh, so you get priority to those. And then if you're at the Lotus level, you get uh, all the stuff that Golden level has, plus the signed uh, book and um, first priority on those tours. And uh, then after we've given it to the Spark members, we kind of throw it the tours open to the general public. So um, those are the things you can get uh, if, uh, if you're part of Spark. You can go to Spark, and that's Spark with a C because it's Society for the Preservation of Ancient Religious Culture. So that's Spark with a C. The Sparkproject.org um, is where you can go to learn more about that. Also, this is for the podcast. The scriptures are real, and that's a podcast that I try to do weekly, usually several episodes a week. Um, sometimes I interview people and um, we just ask what elements uh, have made the scriptures real for them. Sometimes it's archaeology, sometimes it's a, uh, something they learned from language, or sometimes just an experience they had in their life that made the scriptures become real. And we're largely following the Come Follow Me um, curriculum so that people can uh, take these things that uh, make the scriptures more real and, and get more out of the Come Follow Me reading. And hopefully they become more powerful as uh, they become more real and we can apply them to our lives more. So sometimes I uh, interview guests, sometimes uh, I'm with my co-host Lamar Newmeyer, and sometimes it's just me and what I call a or tonight will be not a shortcast; it won't be short, um, but where it's just me exploring a scriptural topic. So um, tonight we're recording this and it will also be uh, on the podcast, uh, but this is a Spark Lecture tonight that's also the podcast. So welcome, we're talking about Ruth tonight, uh, one of my favorite books of scripture. I think most people love the story of Ruth, but there are some things that, uh, if we understand it, will help Ruth become, uh, come more to life for us. So um, I want to just thank quickly because of the pictures they've given us uh, access to, the Church of churchofjesuschrist.org, um, the Grace Communion International Church, and D. Kelly Ogden, who have uh, let me use some of their pictures. So uh, the story of Ruth is fantastic. It is a story that uh, takes place during the period of the Judges. It's a story where there are no heroes, we don't have any great warriors, we don't have any um, prophets or prophetesses that are mentioned, we don't have any uh, big battles or anything. This is a normal story about normal life for most people. So I think that the story of Ruth actually tells us what life is like for most people most of the time during the period of the judges. Of course, it doesn't talk about the oppression that they did experience, and that was also part of life for everybody uh, for example, when the Philistines were oppressing them and wouldn't let them use iron or, and so on. Um, but the story of Ruth is a beautiful story. It's a, it's a love story. It's a, a story of triumph and, and so on. But there are a lot of other elements to this that make this a powerful story. And so let's explore the story of Ruth. It's inserted in, in the English Bible the way we have it. It's inserted after Judges because chronologically it fits there. Uh, it's not that way in the Hebrew Bible because probably was written by a different person at a different time period than this kind of long history we have going from uh, see, either Deut- Deuteronomy or Joshua through the end of Second Kings. Um, but it's worth considering now because this is the time period it fits in right after the period of the Judges. Uh, maybe, and remember that the first part of the book of Samuel, Samuel is the last judge. And so that's still the period of the Judges there at the first part, uh, the first couple chapters of the book of Samuel if we're going to understand the book of Ruth, we understand it best by understanding some cultural background things. And if you've been listening to my podcast regularly, a lot of this you'll have some idea of anyway, but I want to review these things because they're all very, very pertinent for the story of Ruth and understanding them will help us really understand this story. So uh, in the culture, I say cultural caring, we could change that to covenant caring. This is a, 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 in their culture and the covenant demands that special care be taken for certain groups of people and those groups are the widow or orphan and the orphan really means the fatherless you're considered uh it's not orphan that's how it's often translated but it means the fatherless so if the the father has died now there's a reason for this um the the father or husband was the representative in society for that family um it's a male dominated society i'm not saying this is how it should be or anything else this is just the culture that they were in And so you didn't have the same kind of representation or opportunity if there was not a a father or husband available. So special care had to be taken for the widow and and, uh, fatherless, for the poor, um, and for what the Bible calls the stranger, we would probably call it a resident alien. These are people who are not natively of the house of Israel, but have come to live there. We'll see that Ruth is one of those. All right. So let's talk about some of the ways that, that poor was, or that these people, these special groups could have uh, be taken care of. And one of these ways is gleaning. Um, gleaning is a, a, a really fantastic way because what it, it provides an opportunity for people to get food who can't get food on their own, but not free of charge, they go out and work for it. And so it provides their dignity um, and, and yet provides them a way to eat. So let's read a couple of the verses that uh, teach us about gleaning. So we're in Leviticus 19 verses 9 through 10. And it says, and when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard, thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I am the Lord or Jehovah, your God. So. The idea is that you, uh, you leave some things in the field. So for example, you're harvesting with a sickle. And when you do that, you make kind of a circular motion. That's how harvesting would happen. Well, the fields usually have kind of square corners. So when you get to the corner and you do a circular motion, there's gonna be a little triangle kind of thing left. Um, and you're not supposed to take that last step and get that last little bit. You leave that for the poor. And anything that falls to the ground that isn't gathered in, you leave that for the poor. So the poor can then come and gather these things and take care of themselves. Uh, They can feed themselves in that way. And you do that with vineyards. You you leave some of the the grapes in there. You do it with olives. Uh, You do it with everything that you harvest. You leave some for the poor to come and gather. Now, of course, some people didn't do this, but those who were obeying the law, like the same same kind of people who would pay fast offerings today, um, they do this, all right? Here's another uh, aspect of this law of gleaning from Deuteronomy 24. Verse nineteen: When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field, and thou hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. Right. So there are all sorts of ways that you're supposed to leave things for other people to then come and and work and harvest. So that's one way that you take care of the poor um, is is by allowing them to glean. Now, here's another way that you take care of the poor. And we mentioned this uh, in the podcast when we did the story of Judah and Tamar, uh, but we'll just review it briefly here. It's called the leveret marriage from the uh, Macadian word for brother-in-law, which is levir or your your, uh, husband's brother, levir. So the leveret law of marriage is uh, this. Well, let's, let's read it. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse five through six. If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to, him, to wife. Now, this won't be a normal kind of a wife. Uh, he will perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother, which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. So here's the, the thing. If someone dies, um, if a man dies and he doesn't have children then someone needs to take care of the widow. And you see, part of the problem is there's no social security and 401k or Roth plans in in, uh, ancient cultures. And so when you get too old to take care of yourself, you need children to take care of you. That's the way you get taken care of is that your children take care of you. But if this poor widow dies and has no children, no one's going to take care of her. And what's more, her husband's name dies out. And so the idea is that the family takes her in. This is why there is a birthright child. They have extra uh, inheritance so that they can take care of those that need to be taken care of. So that birthright son, uh, or if it needs to be the father-in-law, then it's the father-in-law, as in the case of Judah. But typically it's the birthright son will marry this uh, widow. And the first child won't be his, it will be his dead brother. So that his name continues and they inherit the dead brother's land and so on. And then there is a child to take care of the widow when she's older. So this is how you take care of people who are in need. This is one of the ways to take care of it. Now, uh, there's an interesting follow-up to this. This is in Deuteronomy 25, 7 through 10, the next few verses. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders. And say, my husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, so shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. Now, this is the only time I'm aware of in the law of Moses where public shaming is a punishment, but it is in this case that you spit in his face and he becomes known as the person who has his shoe loosed. Um, and we'll talk about what that might mean in a minute, but this is something of how important it is that you take care of this widow, that it's you're publicly humiliated and given a name that sticks with you forevermore if you're not willing to do this duty. So we can ask this question, what, what is this business about the shoe? I've read lots of uh, scholars who've had lots of things to say about it, and I haven't been convinced by any of them. So, of course, I went and figured it out for myself. I came up with my own idea, and, and uh, uh, I'm sure I'm right, even if I don't know if I'm right. So I, I don't really know, but it just makes a tremendous amount of sense to me. In the scriptures, the, the you use the shoe again and again and again to talk about doing up your shoe to mean you're ready to go at, at, to action. You're ready to go do what you're supposed to do. So I suppose that taking your shoe off means you are not going to do something. You're just not going to go do what you're supposed to do. And that would make perfect sense in this case. Your shoe is taken off, showing you have a duty to do and you're refusing to do it. And uh, that's, symbolized by taking the shoe off so I think that's what's going on in in this all right so the leveret marriage will come to play in the Ruth story as well we also have what's known as the law of the redeemer or the goel and we talked about this when we did Leviticus in the podcast but let me just cover it again briefly because it's so pertinent for this story of Ruth in Leviticus 25 verses 48 through 49 we read after that he is sold he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren may redeem him. Either his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him or any that is nigh of kin unto him of his family may redeem him or if he be able, he may redeem himself. So what this means is that if someone, uh, because they can't meet a debt and that's common in an agricultural society where people have to borrow in order to plant and then the harvest doesn't go as well as you'd hope because of weather or whatever else and you can't pay off that debt. If you can't pay off your debt, then your property is sold. If that doesn't uh, pay the debt, then your children are sold. If that doesn't pay the debt, your spouse is sold. And if that doesn't pay the debt, you're sold. Um, But at any point, any of those things can be bought back by a close kinsman. It is the right of the closest kinsman first. And if that person doesn't want to do it, then the next closest and so on and so on. And the person who now has all this property and all these uh, servants can't refuse the redeemer or the goel is the Hebrew word for it, goel. Uh, They can't refuse the Redeemer. If the Redeemer is willing and able, then they can't be refused. They can buy these people back or redeem them into freedom. Uh, That's not only something that really provides for the poor. Uh, And again, this is why you have birthright children who have an extra inheritance so that they can help redeem those who get themselves in trouble. This is uh, very important because it really cares for the poor. But you can also see the incredible symbolism for this. Uh, I've just finished, I've turned in a manuscript for a little booklet on what exactly the blessings of the, that are promised to Israel are and uh, how we know if we're staying on the covenant path. And as part of that, I just did a search for how many uh, blessings or what the blessings were that were associated with the phrase that, that God's people or my people, uh, spoken from God's point of view. And interestingly, the most commonly repeated blessing promised to my people is that they would be redeemed you can see the symbolism behind this, that God uh, is, or Jehovah is our Redeemer. And so we'll keep talking about that, um, but it's its a, a real thing as well. Uh, well, that's very, very real. Nothing's more real than that, but it's a, a, a day-to-day life kind of thing as well for people who lose their land or themselves into uh, bondage. Um, so that Goel or Redeemer is an important way of caring for the poor that will come into play in, in Ruth's story. So there is a A principle behind that is the Lord says, but because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh King of Egypt. So the Lord says, I redeemed you, I want you all to redeem each other. Very, very important. Um, All right, so again, the Redeemer and the hope of Israel is the Goel or the Redeemer of Israel. Um, so we've looked at cultural caring th- through the lover of marriage, the Redeemer, uh, the Goel, but also those with no family or the stranger, all right, that you have to take care of the stranger or the resident alien. In Exodus twenty-two twenty-one, 21, it says, thou shalt never vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were only strangers in the land of Egypt. Again, stranger means resident alien. So you can't ever oppress resident alien. And there are lots of laws where you're supposed to take care of them and help them the same way you would the poor. And we're only touching on a couple of these. There are lots more laws about taking care of the poor, but we're touching on the ones that we'll see in Ruth. Um, I, I do have one in, um, I think it's with Deuteronomy, or it might be with Leviticus, where I one of my podcasts, where I talked about um, covenantal laws for taking care of those in need. I do want to highlight a couple of examples of strangers or resident aliens, foreigners who became Israelites, right? So Um, For example, at the renewal of the covenant with Moses, uh, there on Mount Nebo, everyone who was with them who was not part of the House of Israel became part of the House of Israel at that point. Uh, That also happened with Joshua at the end of the book of Joshua when they do covenant renewal. Everyone that was uh, with them could become part of Israel. Um, One of those groups was the Gibeonites, an entire city of people who became part of Israel Uh, And at the Passover, it says anyone who wants to be part of the Passover, this is what they have to go through. And then they can be uh, an Israelite and partake of the Passover. So we know that that happens from time to time. We learn about them again in Exodus 12, 48 through 49. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. So this has to do with the Passover. All right. One law shall be to him that is homeborn and under the stranger that sojourneth among you. It's the same law applied to to both. If they decide to become part of the house of Israel, um, then he just has to be circumcised and and keep the law. And then he can be part of all the things that are part of being Israel, including Passover and everything else. Uh, Basically, you can join Israel is what this is telling us. One last thing, and I've talked about this a number of times in a number number of lectures and places, but it's the idea that there's a loving kindness that's available inside the covenant. Um, The Hebrew word is chesed, and if you are part of the covenant, then there's a special love and mercy that is available to you, uh, and that's because of that covenant relationship that God shows you because of the relationship you've formed with him. You, in turn, are supposed to show chesed to others. Uh, you get covenantal love and mercy from God and you should extend that to others in the covenant with you. All right, so now let's uh, take all this and apply it to the story of Ruth. So we know the story fairly well. We know that uh, there's in Bethlehem, there's a famine. And so uh, there's a Naomi's family uh, decides to move across the river. And it really is just across the river. You go down the hill and across the Jordan River and you're in the plains of Moab uh, where they had uh, probably because they were close to the Jordan River, they could still grow some crops, Um, but in any case where they had more food than they did in Bethlehem. And so they move there, this little family moves there because they are hungry and they need the food. Um, And then sadly, uh, so there's um, uh, Naomi's husband and two sons and all of these men died. So they've left behind three widows. Uh, This is a, a sad, tragic story. Um, and these three widows really are now, there's no one to take care of them, no family members or anyone to take care of them, uh, and that's a problem, so Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law, you're both young, go back to your father's house, and hopefully, now typically, if you were a widow, you stayed with your husband's household, but there is no husband's household anymore, and so they would be free to go back to their father's house, and and remarry and she pleads with them there's there's uh, no hope or future for you if you come with me there's no one that can do uh, any of this uh, lever law of marriage or anything no one is going to be able to take care of you go back to your father's houses and um, they will take care of you and you can marry and have children and be taken care of well both uh, Orpah and ruth say no no we love you naomi we're going to stay with you but oh yeah here's here's uh, this is what ruth or, or naomi says to them go each of you return to your mother's house may the lord perform chesed for you as you have done for the dead and for me so she's saying you've you've show, shown this kind of mercy to me and to my sons now you go back and may the lord do that to you um and uh she uh, begs both of these girls to go and uh they say no but then she begs them some more and orpah will go But Ruth uh, will not go. So Orpah goes off. Ruth says, I'm staying with you, Naomi, no matter what. I'm going to stay with you. And as part of that, she says, thy people shall be my people and thy God, my God. Uh, This is evidence that Ruth has converted, that she is becoming an Israelite and believes in and worships Jehovah. And that becomes a key element in this story, that she has joined the covenant people and is of the covenant that's a really key element. So they move back over to Bethlehem, but they don't have the ability to work the land so much. And uh, so they are going to glean. And Ruth goes out to glean. So she is going to take advantage of those laws that are sent for Israelites and the resident aliens to be able to uh, help support themselves. So she goes out and uh, starts to, to glean in the fields. Um, now, when they come back, this is how terrible things are. Ruth or, or uh, Naomi says to people, "The Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi, which means pleasant, seeing the Lord hath, hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So she says, "Call me Mara instead, uh, which means bitter. Now it turns out that when Ruth goes to Um, glean she ends up accidentally as it were in Boaz's field but it's not really accidentally it says in the King James English her hap," which means really her her luck or her just how it happened to work out in in Hebrew Um, she goes to Boaz's field but the author isn't trying to say this was luck this was being directed by God it's clear from the way the author gives us the information and, and from everything that happens in the story uh, Ruth was meant to go to Boaz's field uh, and to meet Boaz. And Boaz came and met her and, and talked with her and was very, very kind with her. And he told her, um, don't go anywhere else. Always glean here. And then uh, he said to the workers, never turn her away, but but allow her to glean. And even he said, uh, leave extra for her. Leave extra droppings uh, of the, the wheat for her and the barley and the emmer just let it drop so that she can glean uh, exceptionally well. Um, he even does something uh, that where he invites her to come in and uh, at the lunch break, as it were, and eat with his servants, and they eat what they call parched corn. So corn in the Hebrew Bible, the King James translators, uh, there's a word for grain, and the King James translators translated that as corn because that was the word for grain. Uh, when they came to the new world later, and they encountered maize they called it corn because they didn't know what it was just some kind of grain and then that word stuck but when it says corn in the hebrew bible it doesn't mean maize or you know stuff on the cob it just means grain so she has parched grain is what she has well this is a custom that continues today in arabic it's called Frike. and uh, freake is something that you do um, for people who are working in the field it's when you take some grain just before it's ripe when it's still just a little bit green and you roast it, and because uh, of the stage of, of ripeness, when you roast it that way, it caramelizes, and it gives you a natural sugar boost, and so they feed this to people in the middle of the day so that they have energy in the afternoon as much as they had in the morning to continue working, and it's a great blessing to Ruth that not they give her this free not only because now she doesn't have to use any of the stuff she's been gleaning to eat lunch. she she has lunch provided for her, but also she has energy to glean all the harder. So you can see that Boaz is really taking care of her. And, uh, and there's something really important in what Boaz says to her when he's uh, telling her that she should stay in his field. He says, this is Ruth chapter 2, verse 11. He says, and Boaz answered and said unto her, it hath fully been shewed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. And how thou has left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. So this tells us something both about Ruth and about Boaz. We already knew this about Ruth, that she's uh, left her people behind, her family behind, just to take care of Ruth and for no other reason. Well, I think also she's been converted. um, But she could be converted over in Moab. But she's done this to take care of Ruth. Uh, It also tells us something about Boaz because he is touched by this. He really respects this. He really admires her because of the goodness and kindness that she is showing. And that's that's a fantastic thing. So then he says something else that's really interesting. I want you to remember this verse because we're going to come back to it. Chapter two, verse 12, he says uh, to Ruth, the Lord recompense thy worth and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel. So that's Jehovah, God of Israel under whose wings thou art come to trust i love that phrase under whose wings thou art come to trust you recognize that she's joined the covenant she's trusting in jehovah and remember that phrase about the wings thou art come to trust uh we'll, we'll come back to that phrase all right so uh ruth will glean and she'll end up gleaning a lot but they give us the amounts that she gleans, and then we can take those amounts and compare them with for example um the assyrian records Um, about when the Israelites are taken captive and how much um, ration they're given when they're doing slave work for the Assyrians and and you give slaves enough rations to not make them fat, but to keep them able to work. And so we can look at how much uh, Ruth gleans. And uh, if if she gleans as much as she gleans in that first day, if she can glean that for the harvest period, she'll have more than enough for she and Naomi for the next year. So uh, Boaz helping her really pays off and she goes home and shows this to Naomi and uh, Naomi can tell she's like well something's going on here that you gleaned this much tell me what's going on and who helped you Uh, that's a a fantastic thing Um, and and uh, when she hears that it's Boaz this is her reply this is in Ruth chapter 2 verse 20 may he be blessed by the Lord who hath not abandoned his chesed to the living and to the dead. So she says, God is showing chesed or this special covenant of love and mercy to her and to Ruth and also to their dead husbands. And Naomi said to her, the man is near of kin to us. He is one of our goels or one of our redeemers. So she recognizes right away, not only is this someone who is helping us, but there's something else going on here. He can redeem us. He is a close kinsman he can redeem us because apparently um, they had sold the land when they left or because they were gone so long, the land had been inherited by someone else or something. So the family land is gone That's part of why they can't work the land. Um, but she recognizes that this is someone who can be a redeemer. And by that, she also seems to be implying the Leverett Law of Marriage. that That's something that a close kinsman can and should do as well. So she's saying he's a, he's a close kinsman. He can redeem our land and he can marry you and take care of us. And, and so uh, Naomi recognizes this as the chesed of the Lord and that they've been led to this place. It's a fantastic thing. So Ruth will continue to work there for quite some time and they are mightily blessed in the gleaning that uh, Ruth is able to do. And then it comes time for the threshing. And when you thresh, uh, that's when you, you separate the chaff from the, the, the grain, the seeds of the grain that you're going to eat. And that's when people will often come and steal uh, is after you've threshed because now you've done all the work and they can just come in and scoop up uh, a bunch of stuff and take it home and uh, that, that's uh, easy to do to get a lot of stuff when it's already been threshed. And so a tradition grew up in the Near East that often the owner and, and uh, sometimes the owner and some of his hired servants would sleep on the threshing floor. After threshing had begun, they'd sleep there to make sure that no one was stealing anything. And so Boaz goes and sleeps on the threshing floor And Naomi says, ah, this is our chance. She's been looking for the time where she can uh, have Ruth seek for the chance to be redeemed, both in terms of the land and of the Leverett Law of Marriage. And she says, tonight, I know you're going to be able to go talk to him because he's going to be sleeping on the threshing floor. So go and talk to him and see what happens. Uh, And so sure enough, she goes out to where he's been threshing and she uh, visits with him. And we'll talk about what uh, he says to her there. But he also then will send her home. He'll fill up her, her skirt with even more food so that she has even more food to take home. But um, this is what he says when uh, she uh, comes and he figures out who's there. He says, uh, who art thou? And she said, and she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaiden. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaiden for thou art a near kinsman. Now we should also uh, mention that When it comes and it says that she lays by him, some people have said, ah, she slept with him or something like that. Well, that's because they weren't studying the Hebrew. The the Hebrew uses the word, not the word for lie with someone that sometimes means that you have sexual relations. Um, It's the word for lodging. It's a very different word and it has no sexual connotation. So she comes and lodges there. He recognizes her and she answers and says, I am Ruth, thy handmaid, and spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. So you can see she's asking, take care of me. Um, uh, uh, because you're a kinsman to me through marriage, now through Naomi's family. Now, the word that is translated as skirt is the word kanaf, which is the same word that is used for wing. Right, so you say wing or skirt are the same word. So we could give a very accurate translation of this: "I am Ruth, thine handmaiden. Spread therefore thy wing over thine handmaiden, for thou art a near kinsman." Now, remember, back in chapter two. That Boaz had said, the Lord recompense thy worth and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. And now Ruth is saying, I am Ruth, thine handmaid spread therefore thy wing over thine handmaiden for thou art a near kinsman. Now there's something incredibly important here. I think that Ruth is saying, you remember when you said I'd come to trust under the Lord's wing, be the wing for me. You be the Lord's wing. You take care of me. I've trusted that God will spread his wings over me, and you will be that wing and take care of me. Beautiful stuff. It reminds me of one element that I should have talked about earlier that I didn't. And and I'm sad, but I'm I'm glad I've remembered now because it's an element in the Ruth story, an important point of symbolism that I think we often miss. I want you to think of what's happening when Ruth volunteers to go with Naomi. The reason she is going with Naomi is because Naomi has no one younger to take care of her when she's old. Her children have died off. And so Ruth says, all right, then I'll go with you. I'll be your child who will take care of you while you're old. But note in that it seems like it will be impossible for Ruth to marry. That's not how the story is going to turn out. But that's what it seems like to all of them, that it will be impossible for Ruth to marry. So what will happen? Well, Ruth will be the one who will grow old with no one to take care of her and she'll suffer, whereas Naomi won't. So think about what Ruth is saying. She's basically saying, uh, Naomi, I will be the one to suffer so that you don't have to suffer. I will take your suffering upon myself so that I can take care of you. I can't think of something that is a a greater symbol of Christ. Ruth is a tremendous symbol to teach us about Christ because that's what Christ does for us is he says, I will suffer for you so that you don't have to suffer. Uh, and so there's great symbolism of Christ in this story already, but I think we're seeing it again here where, uh, where Ruth has uh, asked Boaz to, uh, to take care of her, to redeem her uh, is really what she's asking and for him to be the Lord's wing. So chapter 3, verse 10, uh, this is Boaz's response. Blessed be thou, the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast shown more chesed. That's the word. It's, it's kindness in the in King James Version. But it's it's thou hast shown more chesed in the end than in the beginning. For thou didst not follow after young men, either rich or poor. So he's saying you're showing chesed both to Naomi and to me by stating that you're willing to enter into a relationship with me, a covenant relationship with me. You're showing God's mercy both to Naomi and to me. Apparently, he's an old guy. Maybe already married. Maybe not. We really can't tell. But but he's not expecting that she would want to have a relationship with him, and he's thrilled with this. And and uh, again, tying it into Chesed. All right. So he sends her home, and uh and then he is going to go through the process of redeeming her. So. Uh, I think this is just wonderful stuff that, that Naomi has realized what's going on and recognized the hand of the Redeemer. That helps Ruth recognize the hand of the Redeemer, and she goes and helps Boaz recognize that that he can be the Redeemer, uh, and that they're all experiencing chesed from Jehovah and showing chesed to each other in this process. Fantastic stuff. But Ruth is really the heroine. I mean, certainly Naomi is a kind of a heroine here. Boaz is a kind of a hero. But the greatest heroine in the story is, is Ruth. Now, when Ruth goes home and tells this to Naomi, I love what Naomi says. Ruth chapter 3, verse 18. Then said, she "Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until I have finished the thing this day. That tells us something about who Boaz is. Naomi says, oh, well, if Boaz said he's going to do something, you can just sit back and watch because it will be done by the end of the day, right? That That's who Boaz is. So then we get to chapter 4, verse 1, where Boaz, what Boaz has said is, I can't, be the first one to redeem you. I can't redeem you. There's someone who is a closer kinsman. He has first right to your land and to um, being the leveret husband for you. And, but he said, let me see if I can take care of this. So in chapter four, verse one, it says the redeemer, so that nearer kinsman of whom Boaz spoke came by, the gate. Now the gate is where business is taken care of. It's both in and out of the city and so on. We'll talk more about that in another podcast and lecture. Um, but that's where business is taken care of. So, uh, this kinsman, and, and uh, they won't even dignify him with a name because he's not willing to perform his duty. They won't even dignify him with a name. Uh, Boaz, when he calls out the translators, just or the, the, the story, the author of the story just calls him such a one. It's kind of uh, the ancient equivalent of what's his bucket, right? Or what's his toes, or what's his face, however you say it. Um, and that's, that's all they're going to call him. They won't, don't want to give him a name. But Boaz says, come on over. Hey, Um, did you know that you can redeem this land that belonged to Naomi? You can redeem it because you're the closest redeemer. And he says, oh, yeah, I'd really like to do that. And then Broa says, oh, but hang on. Um, Actually, Naomi is back and she has a marriageable daughter-in-law with her. And so if you're going to redeem the land, you're going to have to redeem Ruth as well, which means you'll have to engage in the lever at law. And such a one says, huh, now hang on. That means I would spend some of my money to buy this land. And then I would uh, have a child for Ruth and her child would inherit it. And my own sons that I already have won't inherit it. And they won't inherit the land that I spent or the money that I spent on getting that land. So I'm taking away from the inheritance of my sons that I already have. And I don't want to do that. So he says, nope, I won't do it. So he takes his shoe off his feet. I don't know if anyone spits on him. And he refuses to redeem the land or Naomi and Ruth. And that leaves Boaz as the closest kinsman. And he says that he will do it. It's a fantastic thing. Um, And then he does and they marry and Ruth has a child. And whose is the child? It actually belongs to her husband and to Naomi's husband and will carry on that line. And so Naomi is thrilled and recognizes this as her own child and carrying on that line um so uh this is fantastic because remember in ruth chapter 1 verse 19 when naomi said may the lord give you that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband um that's what will happen is that they they do get rest uh and then we get in chapter 4 verse 13 the lord gave conception to her meaning ruth so note how in chapter 1 uh naomi asked that the lord would give them rest And in chapter four, she actually does give her rest in the form of conception that she will have a child that will take care of her and so on. Uh, And so the the request by Naomi in chapter one is fulfilled in chapter four, which is some beautiful poetic stuff going on there. Um, And then Naomi also says this in chapter four, verse 14, blessed be the Lord who hath not left thee this day without a redeemer. And she recognizes the temporal redemption uh, but I think that that should all help us also recognize and understand the spiritual redemption that, that is symbolized in this story. And then in verse 15, um, Naomi says, he will be unto thee a restorer of life and a nourisher of thine old age for thy daughter-in-law who loveth thee, who is better to thee, and seven sons hath born him. Well, that's actually what people are saying to Naomi. I apologize. So they're saying that now you have a grandson who will take care of you and is going to take care of your daughter-in-law and that daughter-in-law is better than seven sons because she took care of you and she's given you this son who will take care of you. And now you're being taken care of by Boaz and so on and so on. So they're all starting to recognize the hand of the Lord in this. It's a beautiful thing. So let's tie this up by talking about the redemption of Ruth. And then we'll, we'll end the, the joint um, podcast part of this. Uh, but for the, the Spark Lecture, we'll just say what questions you have and, and allow uh, us to have questions and that kind of a thing. But let's tie up the redemption of Ruth. Uh, Ruth can be redeemed. First of all, because it's available through the covenant, it's only the covenant people that can appeal to the law of the goel or the redeemer. But Ruth has become part of the covenant, so because of that covenant, she is is open to redemption. Um, it's also uh, available because of the custom of redemption that people will actually honor that covenant commitment, and because she found a willing redeemer. You can only be redeemed. If you are in a covenant relationship with someone who is uh, willing in a covenant relationship that includes redemption as part of the covenant, and if there is a willing and able redeemer, that's what happened for Ruth. If she hadn't um made that covenant and hadn't joined those people, if she hadn't come across and started doing this work, then she couldn't have been redeemed. And if Boaz hadn't been a willing redeemer, then she couldn't have been redeemed. But because of all of those things she is redeemed, And again, this teaches us a tremendous amount about our redemption through Jehovah or Christ. We are in a covenant relationship with him. It is part of the covenant that we can be redeemed, and we have a willing and able redeemer. That is beautiful and fantastic stuff. So that if we look at the story, uh, there's one other element that's worth uh, mentioning here. You have um, the story of uh, Ruth and Naomi and then this child that they have. Uh, And that child will have, if I, I should have looked this up again, I think that that child will have a grandchild who will be David. David is descended from this Leveret marriage and redemption. And of course, we know descended from David is Christ. Now, this is actually the second Leveret marriage story that we know Christ is descended from. He's descended from Judah and Tamar, and he's descended from Ruth and Boaz. That is not a coincidence. The Leverett law of marriage is a law that is designed to take care of those who cannot take care of themselves and make sure that there is always seed and and posterity. Well, certainly that's what Christ does for us. He takes care of us in ways that we cannot take care of ourselves and allows for us to have eternal increase and eternal life. And so that's a beautiful, beautiful part of the symbolism. And so it is not coincidental. I think it is very, very intentional that Christ is descended from these two Leverett laws of marriage and from this story that also includes such a strong element of redemption. The great redeemer is descended from a a child that was born of redemption. That's an incredible symbol of symbolism as well. So while in many ways, as I said, Ruth is the heroine of the story in the end, really the great hero of this story is Christ. He is the central feature of this story. He is the the one that the the story testifies of because of everything it has about um gleaning or or providing for the people to be taken care of and redemption and marriage and uh, everything else and covenant Uh, it all focuses about christ and teaches us what christ will do for all of us i am so grateful that christ is willing to do that and i testify that he has done that for us and that we can learn from ruth about how to be redeemed and i testify of that in the name of jesus christ amen